an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. I would ask people to look for solution that is long lasting and not momentary. These are ancient profound words from my guest today. Dr. Manmohan is presently the chief physician leading a team of expert physician at Ayurveda Gram Heritage Wellness Center in Bangalore helping heal patients from different parts of the world. He has 30 years of experience in Ayurveda and his specialties include stress, depression, metabolic disorders and autoimmunity. Listen to this very interesting conversation on doshas and also find out when there are special situation when someone should avoid sleeping altogether. This is such a fascinating conversation that is full of clinical pearls and usage of herbs and oils to help you sleep. So stay tuned for a profound conversation with Dr. Manmohan of Ayurveda Gram. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Welcome Dr. Manmohan to the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I'm fascinated by Ayurveda and of course I've been teaching yoga for two decades so Ayurveda is very very close to my heart and that's a beautiful place you're sitting in and I feel tempted to be there right now and uh, we're talking about such an interesting conversation about ayurveda and the connection to sleep and what i've noticed is because there are lot of ayurvedic quizzes online for identifying dosha there are lot of people who are actually self diagnosing their dosha and then taking some recommendation but sometimes they're getting a little worse and this is where I truly believe that let everybody uh, respect everyone as the expert in their field we don't need to be the expert in everything that's why we have experts like you in ayurveda whom we'd like to get that valid information from so when we talk about ayurveda and sleep i'm really interested as to how does poor sleep play out between different doshas but we'll get to that right now i'm more interested in how did you actually uh, where you said you have such a long experience with ayurveda so i want to know were you always thinking about this even as a child what got you interested in ayurveda how did you end up in ayurveda gram so i want to know your journey that passion story of you and ayurveda well i was not fascinated that much about any medical science but in our 
times it is the parents who decide where you know, which uh, kind of profession that you need to choose. Of course, my great grandfather, maternal grandfather, was an Ayurvedic physician, and had been exposed to uh, the kind of miracles that he worked uh, in the village where he practiced uh, for a little while when I was a child. But after that, uh, my mom, who is a doctor, uh, she's working, she was working at the government medical college in Calicut. And she being a doctor, she wanted us three kids to be uh, choosing the medical profession. And when she forced us to write the common medical entrance exam, I ended up being in Ayurveda. Ayurveda. And once over there, I found it quite fascinating by the fact that this is a science that not only details on the anatomy, physiology, and the rest of the paraphernalia that you would uh, deal with in any medical course. But there was one language which you need to study compulsorily, and that happened to be Sanskrit. I have not studied Sanskrit at school, so it was a bit difficult initially, but it's more or less similar to Hindi. Once I asked the teachers as to why is it so important to learn the language when you need to study a science, the most strange answer which I got was that, well, if you need to understand this particular science, you need to be a sort of a master in Sanskrit. The reason they said was, and which I truly believe has served me well in my professional career, uh, dealing with clients from abroad. There's so much of information out in the world about this particular science. Each person who wrote a book has his or her own interpretations on the original text. So what the original author actually meant by a particular word in a certain context, if it needs to be deciphered by the reader, then it's better that the reader knows Sanskrit, at least the basics. And as a physician, where it is important for you to choose the most correct kind of application for a particular problem, then the honest lies on you to learn the language first. Because all the treatises that you have um, in Ayurveda be it the Charita Samhita, the Susruta Samhita, the Ashtanga Pradeya, whatever that you happen to come across is all written in the basic language, Sanskrit. So studying Sanskrit matters because you will be able to know whether this particular tra uh, translation uh, by this gentleman in the US is actually speaking the truth about what is. And you have come to, to be honest, uh, I have a lot of clientele in Canada and the US when they come to tell me that which book that I need to choose to know more about the fundamentals of Ayurveda. Uh, I can just point out one or two or three because they are very honest and sincere to the translations that I have made. They, they have um, interpreted from the original text and that is very, very close to the original. And uh, as Deepa mentioned, yes, it is true that most people do consider this science as uh, something which is quite harmless and can be applied to anyone and everyone and can be taken uh, like something on the supermarket shelf. You could choose which kind of treatment that you would like to have for sleeplessness, etc. cetera. Uh, that's quite unfortunate. It is always the prerogative of the physician who happens to be at a particular center or clinic to choose what's good for you because you are, you happen to be not just a person with a name. You have a living entity which is you, that is your body and mind. So what are the basic constitutions of your body? What are the likes and dislikes that it have inherently, etc.? This is best evaluated with an interrogation and physical examination by the physician. And only then the physician is able to choose 
um, which are the medicines that are good for you. Just because someone uses Nilipranadi coconut oil for hair loss doesn't mean that you could have it. Truly a principle of bio-individuality. I've heard before from people who've been in Ayurveda a long time that even to box people into just three doshas is not the right way because in that there are so many little intricacies which only somebody who's seeped in the science of Ayurveda actually can understand. How? Uh, what does Ayurveda actually say about sleep disorders? Because there's a large section of the world today who's struggling with sleep issues and it's growing in the last decade alone. 60% more people have uh, been diagnosed with sleep conditions. And of, as a culture now, we are suddenly so engrossed in electronic world, lot of time on gadgets, children, that's why struggling with sleep issues. But I want to know, what does Ayurveda say about poor sleep? And maybe if you could just go into the three doshas, of course, while we respect that there's so much more than just that, and every person is unique, but maybe if you could just describe a little bit about those three doshas and how poor sleep looks like in each of those. So how does it show up in somebody who's predominantly vata, pitta, kapha? Uh, let us take two words in this particular context. One is tridosha and one is treyovastamba. Well, first let's come to tridosha. Tri in Sanskrit means three and dosha, even though it has many synonyms in this particular context, we can take as traits, characteristics or properties. So the tridosha theory says that all living beings on this planet, marine, avian, terrestrial, to have three inherent properties in them, the perfectly balanced state of which is known as the healthy state of that organism, whether it is unicellular or multicellular like us, and the gross imbalance of which of the three is known as the diseased state of that organism. So the perfectly balanced state of the three is the healthy state, grossly imbalanced state is the diseased state. At no point of time can you see these in the perfectly balanced state because we are not living in a controlled laboratory environment. But first let us see what are these three properties. These are ability to retain a form and structure, ability to transform and change, and the ability to generate movement and be dynamic. These are the three functional inherent properties in every living entity. And you can see that if, even if you go to the cellular level. To make it more clear, since it, it would be most appropriate for us to have it more scientifically explained rather than going into the um, Ayurvedic terminologies of these three properties. Let me bring in front of you something experimental. Assume that you have, we have a microscope in front of us and we are taking a small leaf from the plant outside nearby and then taking a cross section of it and sliding it under the lens of the microscope because we need to look into a cell. Now, both of us are zooming into that one particular cell. What do you see there? Can you able, are you able to identify these three properties in that particular cell? The one that is um, the ability to retain a form and structure, it's very conspicuous. If it weren't for this particular property, you wouldn't be able to see a matrix of different subunits being cohesively held together, lined by a cell membrane, and existing as an entity on its own. It has a well-defined form and structure. 
if it were not for the property of having the ability to transform and change, you wouldn't be able to perceive this particular unit receiving energy in one form and converting it into a form it could utilize, like light energy into chemical energy. It has the ability to transform one thing into another. And if it were not for the property of having the ability to generate movement and be dynamic, you wouldn't be able to see the energy so converted being channelized through different pathways to each subunit so that each such unit could function on its own on the whole contributing to the existence of that single cell. And these three properties in Ayurvedic lexicon are known as Kapha, Pitta and Vata. The ability to retain a form and structure is known as Kapha, K-A-P-H-A. The ability to transform and change is known as P-I-T-T-A, Pitta. And the ability to generate movement and be dynamic is known as V-A-T-A, Vata. This is the first time I've heard this, Doctor. It's very fascinating. Nobody has explained Ayurveda like this. Well, uh, to say Vata Pitta Kapha, and it is like that, can be quite ridiculous to some. because Yes, of course. We are mostly brought up in a schooling which, um, in which science is the foundation. And this happens to be a science. We need to explain it in such a way that it is appreciated. And that is why I always, to my students who come from the U.S., the internship students from our academy in the U.S., this is the way I explain the doshas. And the same way Deepa mentioned right now, uh, they also tell, well, uh, we never knew that it could be explained in this manner. And that's the way it is. The three dosha, now you know what these three properties are. They are never balanced. They are never in a state of equilibrium because we are exposed to so many different energy levels day in and day out which we don't have much of a choice. Let us speak about some of them. The energy levels of the weather. Do we have a choice there? At the most, we can stay indoors or be outdoors right. and open umbrella or close the umbrella. But apart from that, we don't have much of a choice there. The energy levels of the food that you happen to eat, wherever that you happen to be. Of course, you, just, you do have some semblance of a choice over there, but seldom is it exercise because you get prey um, to your uh, taste buds. You fall yes. So there also you don't know much of a choice there. The third factor, the energy levels of the people whom you happen to interact with. Being a social animal, we have to interact with so many individuals on a daily basis. Even though we know that certain individual, um, as soon as we meet them and uh, see them or sit with us, we may not be feeling that great being in that space. But still, for the business, we may have to be there for the next one hour or so. Their inherent energy levels will be affecting your inherent energy levels. And it all depends to be how secure you happen to be that uh, you feel good or bad about it. So energy levels of people do matter. So this is why people sometimes say when I meet this person, I feel so drained out after meeting them. Exactly. So assume that uh, Deepa is waiting for your flight by the gate at the airport. And looking up from your boat, you met... Uh, a gaze coming your way and then something in the look didn't uh, want you to continue engaging that look okay you just look away because it's a stranger and you do not know what uh, that person is but uh, that's okay in another context after uh, reading for some more time you looked up and found another person looking at you and there you find that it's okay you don't mind him or her coming towards you asking you a few uh, questions or sharing a newspaper or something like that, chit-chatting. Now, these were two common things that both were not known to you. They were totally strangers. 
one of them was rejected, one of them was okay. Now, what decides that? It is the energy levels each people do carry in them. And that is mostly generated by the thoughts we harbor. Because ultimately, what are actions we happen to execute in a daily life depends upon, deeply upon the thoughts which we happen to keep in our minds. And that's a generator. And this determines the good vibe or the bad vibe that you may feel around a person. So people do carry energy levels around them. And the more that you happen to spend your time in a, a good field of such energy, you feel elated. And the opposite happens with a negative energy. Energy levels of the space that you happen to occupy, the room that you're sitting in right now. If you're not feeling uh, compatible, if your inherent energy levels is not feeling compatible with it, you won't be sitting for that for too long. Irrespective of what you're doing, you would like to move around and get out of that space. So be it a area which has built, which is built in, or be it a vacant space. When you take a walk in the park, certain areas of that park, you would like to linger for some more time than other areas. Because each spot do have their energy fields, which is exposing uh, that energy to your energy levels, Diva. Hmm. Uh, it matters uh, which room, which um, kind of whether it is a um, uh, lived-in property or not. I would always say when you want to buy a property, always make sure uh, enter the space barefoot and see what's the first feeling that you got, irrespective hmm. of how or how ornately decorated the property is, well positioned that happens to be in that locality. Because if you do feel have a good feeling uh, in you, uh, suddenly a surge of goodness happened within you, then go for it. But irrespective of the price, etc., if you feel that uh, a bit low suddenly in that space, then think twice or thrice before going ahead with the deal. So energy levels of many things matters because we are constantly exposed to that. We are not staying completely um, closeted in a, in a petri dish as in a laboratory. We are living entities, we want to mingle with people and we want to socialize, we want to build our careers in our profession, etc. That is why all these three properties will be always in a state of flux. As long as they are minimal, the flux is minimal, it's fine. We can term it as healthy, but as long as soon as the fluctuation is at a grosser level, then you can see it manifests as certain physical uh, problems. It can be a fever, it can be an upset tummy, it can be uh, pain in the joints, it can be sleeplessness, etc. which you yourself could perceive it as well as an onlooker would. Many times you might have asked someone, hey, what happened? You don't look right. well. But you can see that change in the other person. So you deduce that there is something wrong. So And therein comes the role of the Vaidya, the physician, who is capable of understanding um, uh, which of the three is the predominant, which of the three is the second dominant, what are the distances between the three at that point of time, and which of them has imbalanced to find out which all medicines would be the right one to keep that into balance. Now, yes. so let's um, maybe if we could go into a very short description of how predominantly each of these look like. And if somebody has sleep issues, how does it look like if they are predominantly vata, predominantly pitta? So are the sleep challenges appearing different in each of these? Yes, I, before that, let me um, uh, just explain what the second 
term which I used, which was Treyopastamba. Treya, again, is Sanskrit for three. Upastamba is pillar. So the three pillars for a happy human existence. Have you heard about it? No, never. So the three pillars for a happy human existence happens to be optimal quantity and quality of the, the following three. Food, sleep and sex. Well, a lot has been mentioned about the optimal quality and quantity of food and less about the other two. Sleep has been granted that importance in Ayurveda because of the simple fact that as human beings, so there is Ayurveda for the cattle, poultry, etc., known as Ashu Ayurveda. There was Ayurveda for the plants and the trees, known as Riksha Ayurveda. And there is Ayurveda for the elephants, specifically known as Hasti Ayurveda or Gaja Ayurveda, which uh, fortunately is still being practiced in Kerala. Oh, interesting. Yes. So animals also can be uh, categorized into uh, predominantly Vata, predominantly Pitta, predominantly Kapha, etc. In all these organisms, sleeping is important. And we are diurnals. We are not nocturnals. Mm. Supposed to be active as a species during the daytime and to sleep at night. And what is the single important function that happens in our body when we are asleep. Why do we need to sleep? When we are active, we expend so much of energies and we happen to wear and tear the tissues and the cells in our system. They need to be replaced appropriately. They need to be replenished. So many things has to be replenished. The fact that the Deepa I see uh, in uh, front of me is not the Deepa which I saw a minute ago. It's true. Right. So many things have changed, uh, going, uh, constantly changing in our body. For example, the, uh, let us take the case of the red blood cells. It is about 4.5 to uh, 5 million per cubic cc of blood. The average lifespan of each of these cells, the duty of which is to carry a protein called cheme into the lungs and latch onto an oxygen molecule and bring it back and supply it to a cell. The average lifespan of each of these cells is 120 days. Each day is the 120th day of so many millions of these cells in our body. They need to be replaced. When they reach their expiry date, of course, they are completely run down and they need to be replaced and they are replaced. The only part of the body which generates new red blood cells are the bone marrow. And from the bone marrow, Things are, new cells are, the fledgling cells are waiting to be transported to the mainstream so that the work can continue. That kind of a work needs energy. When we have a factory which produces, manufactures a product which is well in demand, if we produce that particular product and keep it in the factory premises, it's not going to earn you any money, nor to the consumer. So we need to find the logistics for transportation to send it across to the end user. And that happens only when there's an efficient transportation system. You need to pay for the fuel, you need to pay for the drivers, etc. So here, the new red blood cells waiting with the bone marrow needs energy to be transported into the mainstream. And that energy is usually taken 
when the rest of the body is at rest. And we are speaking about just one particular cell. And there are so many thousands with different types of functions in the body. So imagine at a plane in which you are looking at a, an entity which needs constant replenishment. Some of them do happen when we are active during the daytime, but a major share of that replacement happens at a time when all the voluntary functions and only the important involuntary functions do happen to continue. The single organ that consumes a major share of the given energy for a day, whether you are asleep or awake, is the brain. That needs to be given its fair share because it controls the rest of the activities of the body. The second larger consumer of the given energy of whatever that is remaining is one area which you do have a reasonable amount of control if you feel that you want it to be controlled and that happens to be your gut. It will consume that energy only if you give anything to it. So at night, imagine a case in which a person eats heavy because he or she had to rush to office in the morning, had a bite uh, on the move and had a quick lunch over a meeting and came home tired and wanted to please himself or herself by having a good meal. So that happens to be the heaviest meal of the day. In most of our lives, this is the story. Now, what is compromised there is that that particular important activity of replacement of cells has been compromised with the energy being diverted into the gut to digest the food that has been eaten. And if it happens to be consumed more towards bedtime, the sleep, the quality of the sleep itself suffers. So optimal quantity and quality of sleep has a very important role in the daily contentment or the happiness factor of a human being. Now coming to the doshas, back and each dosha, um, a, a brief description as to what is. Well, the vata or the uh, property of movement and being dynamic, these people are, well, physically, they are mentioned to be uh, tall, leaner, and with very dry skin, uh, mostly having a tendency to be constipated, etc. But uh, these are people who hate to be stuck in the same kind of rut all through life. They would like to be very diverse in their activities and involved in so many things just for the sake of it. You can see them flitting all around. And that will be the state of the mind as well. Mm -hmm. They can't can, um, anchor into any one particular interest uh, all the time. And that is their comfort zone in being at very different places. So you, you might find them a bit difficult to trust as uh, even in relationships, uh, they, they always have the tendency to deviate from the normal track. And that's because they happen to be so. So one needs to understand that. So the essence of their whole personality is that they have to keep moving. So that's coming into everything. Yes. And they, um, the worst that can happen to a the predominant person in category number one, because um, there are three categories. The one in which you have the vata is the most dominant, the second one in which you have the second dominant dosha more closer to the first, and the third in which you have all the three equidistantly placed and very clumped together. So in category number one, in which you have hardly trace amounts of the other two, and this predominant one is the most 
um, uh, dominant, the vata. You can see this person, the worst that can happen to this person is to uh, be confined to a short space emotionally and physically that completely undo them and that can cause a lot of uh, serious health issues in them. They need to have the, um, they need to spread their wings and fly around a lot. They love the mountains, the seas, etc., where there's a lot of space around. These are people who would, even if they are indoors, would like to have the curtains well spread and have a good view of the outdoors uh, if they happen to be stuck, say, for example, in winter time in house. So that's the Vata person. Of course, they have, uh, they are inquisitive by nature. They would like to know how, which, why, when, what, where, of anything and everything. Um, they express their emotions mostly through aesthetic qualities like um, uh, painting, writing, music, dance, etc. But they need to move. The pitta predominant person, the one who transforms and change, changes, that's the factor, the property of transformation and change. I would call them the movers and the shakers. They, they are the people who have the energy, the drive, the seal in them to go get it. So you can see these people in your team in which they would have ideas and they would like to sell that idea and make sure that once it is accepted, they would target it and go uh, ahead and achieve it, come what may. And you can see them as soon as they are about to achieve the target and they very well know the momentum that you have generated is capable of achieving the target, they would have their eyes fixed on another target. So relentlessly pursuing targets, it's action. But then unlike the Vada, it is not action for nothing. It is action to achieve something. And that makes them happy. They have a huge energy field around them. Uh, it can be either totally negative or positive, but either way, they influence the team accordingly. And uh, they make sure they're very compassionate. They're very generous, of course. But then when it comes to the crux of the matter, they make sure that they cut like the knife. They don't see things in a very blurred manner. They can see things only in black and white. Oh, that's totally me, doctor. <laughs> Well, um, it happens to be the uncle's brother or my cousin, but that doesn't matter. If I need to get something done, I need to get that done. So uh, be at it. So that kind of a thing. So this kind of a personality uh, is the one among us who will definitely uh, strive forward um, uh, and achieve things. The flip side of this energy is that they don't realize that they are blessed with this immense energy field. They believe that it is infinite and happens to give 100% and end up using that 100% so much so that they happen to go, out, go through that burnout phases in life and it happens one too many times unless they are guarded. So they need to um, be aware of that, the risk they are taking. There are people around which who loves this energy and likes to be in the proximity of that energy level. But in the bargain, you get sucked. So at the end of the day, you may feel that, well, something happened, which I'm not feeling well. It's nothing, but your energy level has completely gone down. So that energy is like the money in your bank account. Just because that you have enough, you just don't roll it to everyone. You need to make sure that you anticipate certain things in future and you keep some. That kind of a reserve um, a reservation has to be there. So every now and then, you need to check on the balances to find out how much you have enough. Uh, in a particular, like a healer, like me, definitely we do come across situations in which uh, the next two hours is spent listening to a lot of things that happened in a person's life. 
that may be one uh, important healing aspect that may heal that particular pain in the knee which has been there for the last 15 years there has been something in the mind which has not been shared with anyone so being there of course i end up i know that i will be and an ending up with a lot of muck around me but i need to be ready to cleanse it i need to re- refresh myself i need to replenish myself before i meet my next client fortunately in a space like this as you see around uh, there is a beautiful pond with a fountain nearby so i just go and sit nearby or be with the pets um, uh, it's a farm over here we have geese we have dogs we have cows etc or walk among the trees just to make sure that uh, i'm privileged in that aspect to refresh before i meet the next client so uh, these are energy levels again uh, which has been pent up and have been accumulated over a period of decades which is being thrown out and they feel better so someone who comes to you and you happen to be in a business a discussion you feel you may feel sad but it's up to you to decide when you need to make that move from that particular space so pitta predominant persons do they like to give 200% and they end up through going through that burnout phases in life which they need to be wary about because they will climb back nevertheless but while doing so you see when you are on top of the pyramid whatever that happens to you would have a cascading effect down the line and you surely doesn't um, know as to how many lives you're already touching how many lives are depending on you just by that one action it's not just the immediate people in your vicinity there are so many others who are depending on them whom you are not seeing so when you happen to be a pitta and head of a company you need to make sure that your health matters for so many around you that is a pitta predominant person the kapha predominant person is one who is very stable uh, more inert as a sort of balance which you would be envious about but at the same times needs a uh, shove from the back or a kick in the back to get things started <laughs> so even though they generally know that they need to get going themselves and that's only way they would look for that encouragement that motivation to come to get started but once they are at it then they are on a steady road you can i would call them an employer's delight because if you assign a particular work to them uh, they would be at it and will only get up from that place once they have finished it uh, they will forget about the food the family etc and they are so uh, organized to a level in which they take it to the head the pitta person is a good organizer they don't need much of a planning they would organize everything in their head and then plan it out like that but uh, a kapha person needs a more of a detailed uh, well spread out sheet then they would like to take one thing at a time uh, multitasking may not be that easy for them so if you ask your colleague when your kapha colleague to do three projects titled a b and c and then left somewhere and after a week or so you just rang up and then thought to find out um, how well, how are things what's the status with the projects that i gave you and um, most probably being a kapha they would pick up the one label a and start I might have gone through that and would, you would get the reply, well, A is about to be finished. It's only a, um, a few more hours on it. And then you suddenly tell that, oh, I forgot uh, C is priority. Can you please pick up that and then start doing that? You can leave A aside. It's for certain that this person will be completely confused because there was a B in between. So mm. you didn't think about the B. For them, it has to be in an order. So reluctantly, they may shut down project A and may pick up 
project C, but while doing project C, half of their mind will be on that unfinished project A. Mm. You can see them uh, making sure that the book on the shelf is neatly tapered from the left to the right. If there are any clutterer magazines on the table uh, by the dentist, when they go went for a visit, they would slightly arrange them, even if that's not a job. So they like to th see things in order. The best part in them is that they're very truthful, honest, compassionate, trustworthy. They're very loving by nature. Uh, having said that, they always have a tendency to expect the same in return. And nine times out of 10, that doesn't happen. And when that happens, um, they have the tendency to go down the chute, down the vortex, or walk the lane of depression. Uh -huh. so it is very difficult for one to haul them back up to normalcy. So Kafa predominant people are very emotional in their attachments. We, as since we do have the senses to have likes and dislikes, some of the likes will be very strong, some of those dislikes will be equally strong. So in that manner, we attach to so many things, uh, Diba. But uh, in the process, if we attach very profoundly, we should not forget to remind ourselves of the ultimate truth, which is that nothing is forever. There happens to be a time in which whatever that we see around us will no longer be with be with us okay it can be five years from now it can be five minutes from now it can be 50 years from now but when we have something with us which we like let us give the best at that time while it is there if you can if the kafa person can learn like the vata predominant person of course each of these doshas whether kafa pitta or vata do have the fair share of uh, trauma when there is a separation from whatever that they like the vata and the pitta predominant person will be better position to go on, move on after that initial phase of trauma. But it's very difficult for a Kapha person who is unduly profoundly attached to that particular thing to get over it. So whenever, even if we are Vata predominant or Pitha predominant, we can see that once the Kapha factor in us edges up towards a prominent, predominant dosha, we see more of these emotional attachments coming up. So ideally, we need to make sure that Kapha is kept at a safe distance. It, it has its pluses, but it has, like every other dosha, its minuses as well. In a nutshell, that's what I can say to you about the three doshas. Okay, so then how does uh, it look like when sleep challenges arise among these three different mm. people? I'm guessing that Vata can't wind down at all and... Their comfort zones is all over the place. So mostly they would be active. Even if they do sleep, uh, they, you will find them getting up, getting up frequently. Depending upon uh, their habits, and most of the sleep patterns are habitual by nature, which we have developed not necessarily in childhood, but during our adolescence period. So for example, in college, if you have stayed in a hostel, and if you have identified the best time for your studies would be when everyone is mm. say, nine o'clock to one o'clock. Okay. You end up using that time. You will be so fresh in your mind at that time. Even after passing the degree and coming home and uh, in a career, you will find that at 12 night, you're fresh. Midnight so of basically what you're saying is what I was going to ask you next is that they've set their circadian rhythm in that manner and then it's 
programmed in a way where it gets very challenging them for them to alter that later and even into a setting like a pitta predominant person running a company and uh, they take it the honors on the shoulders to ensure that company is standing on its own feet and then growing etc they completely are enslaved by that one single process okay so much so that they tend to take for granted those two beautiful entities which they are blessed with their beautiful body and their beautiful mind those are relegated to the fringes anything that happens on them happens to be uh, well uh, on the passing they may be attended but you don't give much of a credence to that the priorities are elsewhere so what happens there needs to be something that happening so uh, grossly that it brings them down like a stone from a certain height and then they feel remorse oh i should have taken care of this before the body is such a exquisitely crafted organism it does not let anything happen without informing you there comes the importance of being with yourself self how much time do we give to that particular factor in our daily lives matter even for sleep say how many of us do make sure that we give that 5 minutes with that self before bedtime we don't correct yeah that's what i told you today's world it's right till the time of going to bed scrolling social media responding interactions no quiet time to self at all and that is the most important part in your to do list i would always say this to my patients in your to do list well there are ceos from different big companies coming uh, to me and saying that manu i am they call me manu manu i uh, i feel so fresh i never been ill in my life i am 48 i've been i work 16 hours a day and i'm not stressed you speaking about stress i'm not stressed but that is only a mental feeling since they love doing what since they love doing what they do it is our emotional enjoyment it doesn't mean that the physical self is okay with it it's not appreciated it's only a matter of time that something has to be disconnected and then has to uh, lead to one thing and another there so, is one saying doctor which i use a lot for my clients which is if you listen to your body when it whispers you won't have to hear it scream out aloud yeah that's uh, that's uh, thank you for that statement it is something which is very loud and clear i would uh, i just hope that everyone uh, living in our era um, uh, repeats that statement all over again every day in our lives because it matters that the the quality time which we should be having is the one with our ourselves the me time and that me time is not with a phone in your hands or listening to um, a, a music or something like that it is that time in which you sit at a place of your convenience in absolute silence away from distractions and keep your eyes closed so that you can listen someone talking to you and that happens to be the real you the owner of this beautiful creation make him or her your best buddy mm. there's one person who never lets you down come what may in this life it is that person and your deepest passions and desires it is he or she who would be taking it out and linking to like minded thoughts to make things happen 
you may call it a chance meeting you may call it a chance um, uh, article on the newspaper but there's nothing called chance it is all designed well it, it depends upon how much you are in uh, close contact with your own self that if you want to generate something it can be generated so i think we didn't going to kafa and how a kafa person looks like when they struggle with sleep yeah they uh, the pitta and the vata persons of course pitta for a particular purpose um, vata definitely doesn't get much of a sleep it would be in, uh, good for them to have some uh, kafa factor induced in them like having milk at night etc to generate some cooling herbs uh, to be applied on their uh, apex of the head or on the feet to make them sleep you need to induce some factors into them into them that can make them sleep pitta of course they know they know very well that in order the, to even out the kind of activity which they did during the daytime they need to get a good sleep their mind even in the subconscious always keep on thinking they may be seemingly asleep but their mind will be fully at work okay so they, these are the guys who happen to wake up around at 3 o'clock to take a leak and then will say well i feel so fresh i need to do something right now yeah if that is hampering what it matters really dear is how fresh you feel once you wake up in the morning if you feel sluggish then definitely even if it is 5 or 6 hours of sleep or 8 hours of sleep then that sleep quality was not good okay but even after 5 hours or 6 hours of sleep you wake up so fresh that you are so agile and your mind is so alert i believe that is enough time for your body to rest but does that is that all right doctor if somebody is sleeping 5 6 hours and waking up every morning they feel they are fresh and it could also be because they are so alert but over many many years can that still impact them or is that just their right sleep quantity that is where we come to daytime sleep and nighttime sleep of course as i mentioned earlier we are diurnal animals and uh, nighttime sleep is something which we are used to but having said that there are certain conditions in which you can't sleep during the daytime sleeping to the, uh, in the daytime generally is mentioned only in certain aspects of one's life say if there is one person who is uh, quite um, uh, active has to be active for the sake of others in the text it is mentioned one who is unduly talkative who can't stop talking and is all over the place um, uh, talking about anything and everything because they need to have the rest because in, at home left to themselves they would be at some other thing mm. and they may not have a proper sleep during the night time so they need to they can take a, a post lunch nap etc but in order to make sure that that sleep is not going to be unhealthy for you it is always appropriate to sleeping when you are in a chair Ah. it is always advised so that you don't uh, feel the complete effect um, of that the negative effect of sleeping during the daytime at the same time your body feels rested very interesting because there are a lot of people for example new mothers who simply don't have an option they are waking up through the night and then some then they feel if i sleep during the day then i'll ruin my sleep so this is and i've actually heard 
two ayurvedic doctors categorically saying nobody should sleep during the day so this this is very interesting because then it's respecting an individual and sometimes there's no other way so at least they've got some good choices it would be better to refer the original text to see uh, what are conditions that a person can sleep during the daytime hmm. there are the conditions in which sleeping is completely prohibited during the night as well neither during the day or during the night as when one is having uh, some form of venom in the body what or does if, that mean doctor say if in a snake a snake bite case oh okay Oh interesting but then how can you prevent somebody from falling asleep if they've been bitten by a snake the idea is to keep them as conscious as possible because during sleep what happens it is the kapha factor that uh, increases in that but we should not make sure vishay is ruksha because if we, we if we can make sure that the person doesn't slide into that um uh, state of stupor it would be better to counteract that visha otherwise we may end up uh, giving the person out that easily so in the case of venom it is better to have keep on talking to the patient trying to make sure that uh, he is not uh, even taking a nap so there are conditions in which sleep is prohibited or advisable uh, to be prohibited during the daytime as well as night and there are clear cut felt out occasions in which one can sleep during the daytime as well okay so doctor i want to know now let's just say today after we finish talking you are going to get three patients and you're diagnosing each one is predominantly vata with sleep disorder one is predominantly pitta with sleep disorder and one is predominantly kapha with sleep disorder can you talk a little bit about of course we don't need to go into full detail but what would be some of the therapies that you would utilize to help each of them so that we can see how uh, sleep challenges are different in these three and how the approach to solve that is also different and adapted to each of these well if they are coming to get a medicine from me that would make them sleep um single thing which i would be showing to all three of them would be a mirror in which they can see themselves if they don't understand the factor that looking for help from outside is ignoring your own beautiful self and its ability to do whatever that it wants then you are in the wrong place first of all let us find out what are the reasons behind that sleeplessness it may be living in a setting in which you have an emotional dislike to you feel that energy level is not so good every time you you know that this particular person whom you had have a respect is sleeping next to you or uh, in uh, in another room etc this it's a kind of setting problem so constantly your mind will be alert how can you prevent that happen it can be the kind of energy levels which you carry from work which keeps on agitating you till you find a solution you won't go to sleep ideally i would say that looking for a solution outside in the form of a medicine or a therapy should be the third choice first try to correct or understand from the physician what all changes i need to make in my lifestyle 
or in my habits to ensure a good sleep for which the physician has to spend some quality time with him or her to understand what are their daily routine what are those habits which makes them uh, having a delayed sleep or a poor quality of sleep two the type of food they happen to be habituating with food as you know are both ushna virya and shita virya or those who, which can induce sleep uh, certain foods will always keep you alert etc so you need to get to know from that then you may as well not need any therapies or medicines if at all that you need therapies or medicines that is a support mechanism for the other two the primary focus has to always to be the correction in the lifestyle and the food habits okay so could you just share a little bit about what are general practices to correct lifestyle and what are some of those food you mentioned some are stimulating preventing sleep and some induce sleep so just give us a broad outline about that coffee is a well known factor caffeine you might be aware that whenever you feel sleepy um i believe that most of us do have a cup of coffee because we need to get working and we are feeling sleepy so that's ignoring the body mm. the body wants it to be rested at the same time it is your engagement with the work at hand that uh, you don't want to so actually there you are ignoring the body alcohol for example these are things anything that is ruksha or intense in its application once ingested that would keep you awake so the anything that is opposite to it like milk dairy basically milk especially if it is buffalo's milk which is the most heaviest then it would be able to induce sleep even a good shower but in today's life what i see the single important factor that makes the person not to fall asleep quickly is the gadgets which we happen to be addicted to it can be that big screen on the wall it can be those tiny screens uh on in your hand or those moderate screens on your table so these are screens or emanation of those lights which can keep your melatonin uh, secretion inhibited and keeps you awake i don't mind you reading a book right. or writing something putting pen to paper but if if you are um awake and if you it's you're not you're not at sleeping the ideal thing is to nod off doing something and then go to bed rather than waiting in bed for sleep to come by when your mind will be engaged with so many things so uh, how close how heavy is your dinner that also matters because dinner is one meal which i find should be the least heavy the most easy to digest so much so that one that you get a good sleep quality sleep and two that um, important work of rejuvenation can be done fairly comprehensively so an early dinner a light dinner maybe just give us one let's look into your plate what would you eat at night rice porridge a chapati or two with some sabji and prefer here in ayurveda gram we eat dinner at around 6:30 in the evening so that by 7:15 7:30 for sure the restaurant is closed so then mm. we can have at least a quality 2 hours before we go to sleep 
But before that, we'll ensure that by 9.30, when it, which is bedtime, by 8.45, 9 o'clock, everyone is reading a book or writing something rather than with a gadget. But doctor, this is very, very rare today because people actually make fun of me for going to bed by nine o'clock and they're saying that only kids go to sleep at nine. I can't even think of sleeping before midnight or 1 a.m. So it's very, very rare in today's world to see somebody actually going to bed, leave alone reading a book. And uh, the I feel a big problem is simply the way that they are staying awake till the middle of the night and actually losing sleep. So when you have that early dinner, like you said, that's ideal. And then two hours later, you go to sleep. Invariably, it's never like that. They're eating dinner at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and going to bed at midnight, 1 a.m., and then sleeping till 10 or 11 a.m. in the morning. But they feel that because they've slept eight, nine hours, that they are fine. So do you feel there's a problem with when you sleep, when you wake up? Unless it is something that is pressing and um, very uh, important that a life depends on it. If you do have the ability and the privilege to sleep yes. around 9 or 10, go to sleep. Yes. But um, so I don't see that anyone do have the necessity to stay till 12 o'clock to finish that particular book or that particular serial on the Netflix to make sure that you need to go to sleep. Okay, here the 9.30 routine is in Ayurveda gram, what we practice when we put someone on a panchakarma. But mm. I'm quite sure that those, a person who is sleeping at 11 or even 12, after sleeping for about till 8 in the morning or 7 in the morning, it feels equally fresh. So it's fine. But then the most agile and clear state of mind that you can have is early in the morning, say around 4 or 5. And that is the mind which can bring you solutions that have been vexing you for the last many days and which you don't find a, uh, how to solve an answer to. Just like that, the solution streams in because the mind is not cluttered at all. It's so fresh and agile. So at that time of the day, if you're spending for sleeping, then I believe that being a creative and, and innovative person, a productive person, you are likely to miss on certain things which a very clear mind could bring because if you're waking up at eight o'clock or even later, then you are straight away streaming yourself into certain routines which get, we get carried away with. So you're saying that actually just waking, uh, going to bed earlier, waking up earlier and having that time at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. where you save, you get easily the answers to any problems that you're having. That's actually a very simple tool for people to utilize to actually improve their resilience to stress. And what they say stress today is that I'm not, able to find solutions life is so difficult so this is such a simple easy tool which doesn't cost anybody any money just going to bed earlier and waking up earlier but coming back to is there now there are millions of people in the world who are taking prescription sleeping pills and 
they have they come with it this huge danger of potential addiction to them and there's also some studies indicating that there's actually increased mortality rate from long term use of these sleeping pills which are very very dangerous so suppose somebody were to think about an option maybe a herb something they could safely use at home is there something like that which is more universal like tridho shake where everybody can bring in something which it gives them that feeling of scaffolding i agree with you that you first do the lifestyle the habit change the food change but sometimes people are telling me that uh you don't understand that without that i'm stressed so just as a even let's just say like a placebo effect is there something which is simple and safe yeah and that i would say the best thing is a bath mm-hmm. okay a shower if one is not having any upper respiratory uh, or a respiratory effect cold or hot yeah it's a, it 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 it's better a room temperature shower if it's a if it's a winter if it's winter season then it's better to be a room temperature shower so that you are not exposing your body to undue cold uh, or because the head has to be washed with room temperature water or at the most lukewarm water never hot water okay body from the neck below can be exposed to warm to hot water but never the head that leads to increased hair fall uh problems with the eyes the ears the gums etc so uh a bath is a simple option but but then before if one has a sleep problem definitely of that intensity there are so many medicines which can help one achieve that like chandanadi thailam the oil in which um the sandalwood is the major ingredient akshirabella uh, thailam uh, these are things which one can apply on the backs of the head routine for about half an hour and then wipe it off and uh, with or without a shower can get a good sleep if they practice it on a daily basis or even your feet massage with cold water anything that is cooling to soak your feet in uh, a little bit of cold water that would be a uh, much more refreshing to the eyes of course and uh, to cool the body that would be ideal Do you know about the touch me nots the one um small plant which which closes up when you touch yeah so uh, plucking that small plant and uh, washing it thoroughly taking mm-hmm. the mud roots etc and grinding it into a paste and um uh, applying it on the feet oh uh, very very interesting i've got tons of it in my farm yeah i'm going to try that tonight itself <laughs> Uh, about areas which is about 1200 meters above sea level you have this um, uh, valerian jadamansi in uh, sanskrit we call it tagara what uh, is it called doctor tagara in uh, sanskrit okay uh, the botanical name i believe uh, i have it here it is called uh, valeriana jadamansi so okay powder the powder the root of this um easily this in india it is easily accessible um in most tropical countries it should be available and even it it grows in the temperate part of the planet as well so the uh, the powder of this root if it's 1 or 2 grams of it if it is taken with some milk at bedtime it gives you a good sleep most of the patent products proprietary medications uh in india for sleep 
the major content is this particular medicine and so, is this safe for all doshas or it is safe for all doshas and uh, brahmi the brahmi powder is also a good um, uh, sleep inducer and there are so many other classical medicines deepa like drakshadi kashayam uh, you can have the mahakalyanagam kashayam no i think uh, as recommendation because there are so many people who we don't know their history so what you said is very relevant because for one thing uh, you're not going too much into internal usage with the oil and the foot pack so those are very useful and also what you said about brahmi so is brahmi also you recommend mixing it in milk and having it at night Those who have a lactose intolerance, they can have it with honey. Hmm. They don't have to necessarily mix with milk. And uh, that's a Brahmi powder or Saraswata uh, powder. These are things which is easily available in many markets uh, in the Ayurvedic shops, uh, whether it's in the US or Canada, etc., or even in Europe. So we do have these combinations with Kerala Ayurveda, which is my parent company, uh, the parent company of Ayurveda Gram, and uh, these products like Brahmi pearls. Manasamitra Vadakam. That's one another classical product, which is a very um, uh, first choice kind of for most Ayurvedic physicians to help induce sleep. Procedures like Shirodara, Shirovasti, etc. When you are into a residential treatment, is mostly provided like Netra Tarpana, the ghee in the eye. Uh, those are treatments which also will help induce good sleep. But those and are, shirodara is it different for the three doshas? Like what is used for them? There are two forms of shirodara, Deepa. One is with oil, different types of oils, and for uh, different uh, pathologies. And the other is the buttermilk decoction. Dara, That's is, what I have had when I had a treatment. It was cool buttermilk. And even then, it is not just buttermilk with any decoction. The decoction matters. Yes. But, One is having a migraine. If one is having a uh, skin problem like psoriasis, for example, or any joint disorders, we need to anything that is applied on the head will have a comprehensive effect on the whole body. So we need to carefully choose. That's why even for hair loss or dandruff, mm. an oil applied on the head has to be carefully chosen because it should not aggravate anything, any other pathologies on the body. Health But problem. I think there is such a big connection, isn't it, doctor? Then uh, people who have persistent scalp infections and they have lots of sleep issues. So I don't know: are they interconnected? Does one cause the other, or because they are in a certain way, then they have the predisposition to both scalp infections and poor sleep? Is there a connection you've noticed between that? Definitely. The single uh, factor which I can identify is dryness. Dryness within the system and without. So it all depends upon how much hydrated one happens to be. Your body is about eighty percent water. We need to make sure that we do have enough quantities of water, even if we are not feeling thirsty. When we are talking, so much of moisture is is expended. Are we? Uh, when we uh, even if we are not talking, when we are lying down in bed sleeping, when we are breathing out. We are breathing out so much of moisture, so this needs to be replaced. The more that you happen to once you know that, say for example, if you are typical um, about that predominant person, there is dryness is natural. That is your body type, but the onus lies on you to make sure that you have your re regular abhyamram with 
um, uh, the, the type of oil which the doctor has prescribed or with organic sesame oil on a, a daily basis, if not daily, at least once every other day kind of thing to make sure that your skin is more supple, toned up and less dry and to use an oil on the head, which is appropriate. So itching or any kind of skin problem will definitely have an impact on the sleep. And most of the skin problems that you have, that you can imagine, uh, which um, happens on the body, is having a dryness quotient to it, a vata factor to it, in which it becomes more dry, scaly, and then itchy. So um, definitely it is, say, I would always say that if there is a skin issue, definitely you need to have a look at your stress levels, how capable that you're able to cope with it because these are manifestations of what the mind cannot make up with. So in a person with a skin disease, as well as sleeplessness, you for sure need to spend at least one to one and a half hours with him or her to identify what is the genesis behind it. And nine times out of 10, you would definitely see a stress factor coming up. I swear by head oiling, doctor, but I want to share with you quickly before we are almost out of time. But uh, when I went for a hair cut a few years back to one uh, center in Bangalore, the girl actually told me, ma'am, are you using oil on your hair because it's going to destroy your hair? So... This is something that I heard and I was so alarmed to hear it because I feel that head oiling has so many benefits apart from hair um, quality, the quality of your sleep, how you feel much calmer. For me, it's the all-in-all solution. So can you just quickly share if... um, Generic, if somebody wants to have to introduce hair oiling to their daily habits, what are the safe oils for the three doshas to use? I would stand by uh, my company's product, Keshini. Keshini And that's for all three doshas. Yeah, it can take care of the hair loss, the premature growing, dandruff, or the hair breaking, etc. It is for sure, Deepa, that... The, like the body, um, like the skin on another part of the body, the scalp is skin in itself. It has its sweat glands, its own, it has its sweat pores, and the hair follicle grows from the scalp. So it's not just the tresses that needs the attention. It is the origin, the place where the, the, the feel from which it grows. So that needs nourishment with oleation for sure. Hair follicles definitely needs to be applied with oil. Don't, uh, there is a misconception that the more that you reach in oil on the head, the better it will be for yourself. I don't uh, accept that because none of the texts say to oil, to put oil on the head for more than an hour. Oh, of course. That's another thing I was going to ask you because I always apply it, leave it for a while and wash it off. But I see people combing it with oil and it's there 24 hours of the day. Certain people do uh, apply and then keep it on for two days here in Bangalore and then uh, wash it off the third day. So that is not something which would help the hair follicles or for that matter, the body as a whole. Half an hour to one hour is all that is necessary. And you can see if you if one retains oil on the scalp for more duration than necessary, then one can end up with 
some infections like sinusitis. And or, that can impact sleep as well. Yes, and even dandruff because uh, dandruff is nothing but a fungal pathogen of the scalp. And if the oil on the scalp closes all the pores through which the skin needs to eliminate its toxins and creates a fertile habitat along with the dirt and the grime that one may happen to accumulate during the period the oil is on the scalp for fungal pathogens to infest in, then you're actually aggravating the condition. So it's better to wash it off after half an hour to one hour. Thank you, Dr. V. I have just two quick questions for you before I let you go. One is that 100 million people with diagnosed sleep disorders today across the world. And so we are not even counting those who have not had a diagnosis. They're just going by with poor sleep. Either they're not able to fall asleep or as you said, they sleep, but then they wake up and they're thinking or they have anxiety. What do you feel is the single biggest root cause of sleep disorders? Difficulty to cope with the stress around them is one causative factor and there's no quick fix solutions for that for all sleep disorders. But I would generally ask uh, all of them to make sure that to look for a solution that is long lasting rather than just momentary for which Ayurveda is the best option. At Ayurveda Gram, almost about 20 to 30 percent of clients who are coming over here do have sleep disorders. And we are so happy and delighted to hear from them three months down the line that um, doctor, the medicines that you gave, the uh, therapies that you underwent and the guidance that you see, that's important. Education that we impart while they are here on how to modify their lifestyle and the food habits have benefited them in the long run and they're sleeping happy. So Ayurveda, I would strongly believe it's not because I practice it, but that's one solution which those people who are having sleep disorders need to seriously look for. That's, uh, I think, across all my guests, the biggest root cause is always stress. So, uh, doctor, can you complete a sentence for me? So, if sleep is the new medicine, then so what do you believe as sleep's power in healing? So, if you can just complete my sentence, if sleep is the new medicine, then... yeah. If uh, I, first of all, sleep is so natural, which evolution has blessed us with. Because that is a medicine which is already in there. It's only that you need to uh, learn to use it in the correct dosages. So if, if sleep is the best medicine, then you don't have to look for any medicine elsewhere. Because that, um, that solves most of the problems that we have. A quality sleep and the right quantity of sleep, that is the best medicine one can have. That's an excellent mantra for everybody, doctor. And you gave a lot of takeaways for people. So it's really useful to everybody. And I've never actually, for me, it was like an Ayurveda 101 course for sure. And uh, I will definitely be talking to you outside of this. But thank you so much for coming on the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It was a great pleasure having you with us and um, great guidance for everybody. Thank you so much, Deepa. Namaste. Hey everyone. 
everyone i hope you enjoyed the show just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only this is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional this information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services if you are looking for personal help on your health journey do seek out a medical practitioner please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro It is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Music